Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Steven Soderbergh film, which is Unsane, starring Claire Foy. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 147 of Film Tank. I'm Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney. 147? Hmm? What are we going to do for 150? I don't know. I feel like we got to do something. We should do the Pokemon movie. Hmm. How about we just fire you? We try it multiple times and he's still here. <laughs> That's so. true. Yeah. Also, yeah. you know, like well, I mean, equal opportunity and all that fucking bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did Predator for 100, which was like a total. So now we do movie. Baby Predator. <laughs> well, let's see here. We got this. Hmm. We got uh, Ready Player One. Yeah. Up next week. We're like That's teasing right. the audience right now. I know. And then I think we're going to maybe try to do Isle of Dogs then, even though we tried to do it this week, but that just couldn't happen. Cause it's Something about never... Wes Anderson. Like he, because I always have to go see his movies at Evanston, which mm. this will probably be the first time since Moonrise, which I guess was only two movies ago, but still, where I didn't like go out of my way to make sure I saw like day one. Yeah. Which probably says a lot about my uh previewing feelings about those trailers which right. is that I can't wait to see it but also I I can wait <laughs> right well you figure that it will eventually be in more cinemas yeah. but the idea that it's been 2 weeks now is a little it's weird weird I, it might be the animation thing just like you know I'm just saying like in general like uh I think that's always like a Adult animation is a really hard sell, I think, in these I would agree days. with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean, like, South Park uh, profanity. In the, in the case of, like, feature length? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because... The in, last, in Cineplex. The, the, yeah, the last uh, adult um, animated film I watched was uh, Sausage Party, which was fucking awful. Yeah, and there you at least have a hook, which is, come see, you know, the Pixar-esque, uh, raunchy... Oh, they had a selling point for that, right. for sure, yeah. Whereas Isle of Dogs is just come see another Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. that happens to be animated. Yeah. And I, I want to say the last thing I've ever seen in the theater that's like it was Fantastic Mr. Fox. Cause, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, so we're planning that for 149. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it'll be, even though it's not like an amazing, like monumental film to do, I think doing A Quiet Place for episode 150 will be quite a good choice. Well, you know what? We can all like talk in our Since... ASMR voices. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to see it, I will say I'm on board. And I was going to say, uh, not that it's it's like, it at least is a cinematic event, I would say. Because yeah. it's not necessarily, because it's obviously not just a silent movie or anything like that. But the idea that it's a film that is apparently from the outset as committed to its storyline as it seems to be, I think is at least 
appealing enough to warrant an episode, even if it's a piece of shit movie. Should which, we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Should we go on record right now? Mm. I'm going to put something out there mm-hmm. and say, if for whatever reason, Isle of Dogs does not come any further by the time we would want to go see it, we'll do The Death of Stalin. For 150 or for 149? 149. Okay. It's, it's already here, which I never thought I would see that movie before, before a Wes Anderson movie. I'm going to definitely go see it, so maybe we could plan to do a double episode yeah. if I love I was going to say, like, yeah. we'll basically, because I'm obviously an Iunuchi, uh freak, so I'm going to see it, too. So. Also, too, I think Toussaint will actually enjoy The Death of Stalin, too. Did you see the trailer for it? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Toussaint likes In the Loop, right? Ah, I fucking yeah. love In the Loop. So, yeah. so there we go right. like the next month. Boom. And then after that, it'll be almost time to talk about Avengers. Yeah. Woo! Sorry. To Is that going to be 150? No, no. Okay. We're not just going to delay. We've never done that before where we just didn't do an episode for three weeks. Because, wait, but no. No. no I, I think all those movies are going to lead to at least somewhat interesting episodes. So. Yeah. Also... Tucson is here. Yeah! Unsane hey! in the membrane! <laughs> okay, Tucson's leaving. Yeah. You sane, I sane, bull! Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on. We're excited for this episode. Yeah, just, just go ahead and just turn him down there. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to jump right into the new Steven Soderbergh film, Unsane, which this was a... And I know that this was obviously a, a small-budget iPhone film, but... Uh-huh. That being said, this is a very quick turnaround in this day and age. It was a surprise. Uh, I mean, I guess they kind of announced that he would make it, but by the time they announced it, it seemed like it was already finished. It, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say it's something like Cloverfield proportions of, like, you know, just dropping it. But, yeah, like you say, it's a uh, Soderbergh. Yeah. What, what can't he Just do? had a major-ish film last August, I think it was. Logan I mean, I think that's what's so weird about it, mm. is that like he came, quote-unquote, out of retirement to do that movie, and then he made this one seemingly at the same time, practically. Yeah. And again, same thing that I just mentioned, where this is a low-budget film shot in a very short amount of time. Obviously, editing was important here, but less than a probably a major motion picture like Logan Lucky would have. Yeah. Um, but still, it's a it's a full-length film that came out from a director in a very short amount of time from his last uh, work. So sure. there is that. So the main stars here, really, it's it's Claire Foy is the big name, and most people would know her from The Crown. Yeah. Um, although she hopefully will be getting, you know, some more leading gigs I after think she should after this. I mean, and the crown already, she's gotten plenty of praise for that. Uh, and I actually think spoiler, she puts on a fabulous performance in this film. Um, you have then Joshua Leonard playing the character of David Strine. Him the, and Malcolm Blair should play cousins. Yeah. M- making Blair in this film would have did been I say Malcolm Blair. You did. I That's know. okay. Macon Blair is a more that, normal name, Macon. Change your name. If it was him in this role, I think I would have totally dug that. I I, I told you that from the trailer, I thought it was him until yeah. I actually got like longer looks at. And then uh, the two other people of note here that people might know, uh, Jay Farrow from yeah. uh, Saturday Night Live. Famously fired. Yeah. I say famously because... 
he's black and Lauren Michaels doesn't really care. No, what? I. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of black people on. No, I. I always say that because as someone who I guess I don't watch Saturday Night Live week to week, but I follow the the behind the scenes, whatever. That was that seeming, I don't know, that seemed like a Lorne Michaels is a dictator mood because him and, uh, what was it, uh, Taryn Killam were basically let go in the same season, which made no sense because both of them uh, are. Well, one was a true heavy hitter in Taron Killam because he's white, so he got a lot of screen time. And Jay Farrow was a stealth player because he was fantastic but didn't get as much screen time. Right. Anyway, I'm glad to see that Soderbergh and hopefully others will kind of utilize him a little more. Yeah. He had a very interesting character in this film, and we'll we'll, we'll get into that. And then you've got Juno Temple, who, boy, she's been typecast in this kind of role. Now, not the crazy person necessarily, but... Uh, somehow every single film that she's cast in, she somehow ends up getting sexually exploited or gets slut shamed at some point. It's fun to think that this might be like her character from Killer Joe, like two years down the road. Like the events of Killer Joe did a number on her, which they would if you've seen that movie. But for real, can she get out of this loop? Because... Even her small roles in, like, Far From the Matting Crowd and uh, Batman. Uh, oh, she was in The Dark Knight. Uh... The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Like, ev- yeah, every single role is somehow involved that either she's a crazy slut, she's a prostitute, she's a rape victim. And, boy, it's like 12 roles now in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, the the unfortunate part of that is that in Killer Joe, for example, I think she's perfectly casted. Uh, like, I think at that age, she had an unfortunate, but uh, easily recognizable, like, cherubic... Uh, mm. Profile? Yeah, yeah, where it made sense. But, like, she's got to be in her 20s now, and mm. now, in my opinion, she's grown into her just adult self, and yeah. she just looks more like a regular, blonde, good-looking actress. So the idea that she, I think, started that and now can't escape that is kind of horrifying. Yeah. Especially in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh... And, I mean, that character could have just been that character here, so, you know, I guess it's not a big thing on Steven Soderbergh for casting her in this or the casting director for putting her in this, but, boy, it's too many in a row to make it not seem weird. (laughs) So, anyways... The story of Unsane revolves around a young woman who's involuntarily committed into a mental institution where she is confronted by her greatest fear. But is it real or a product of her delusion? Mm. I will say this. I'm with Nick on this 100% that it is pretty clear what is going on about probably like 20 minutes into this film. This movie tips its hand. Yeah. Shows its cards, I would say, not tips its hand, but shows its cards completely about half so, hours. So if you were in on, and actually there was quite a bit of promotion on this in the week leading up, not before that, but yeah. really the week, there was a lot of things on movie apps, there was some commercials for it, um, but it was really selling people on this film being exactly that, and it's clear Which, early on that it wasn't. Yeah, and I get because... Like, how do you sell that to an audience? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to watch this movie where you basically know what's happening psychologically. But, but the character do- doesn't. Right. So, But see, that's the problem, is that if you have a film, and this is this is going a little bit 
a, a little while ago. Mm. But you have a film like Vanilla Sky that comes out that advertises itself being one thing and then is something completely different than that. And it doesn't have, like, Stanley Kubrick behind it. It's just like... Are you saying Cameron Crowe is not Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> At any rate, it, when you sell things to a, a mainstream audience and then it is something not that... It's like the lady hey. who sued uh, whoever uh, because Drive was not like the, <laughs> the Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember that? Yeah. What a weird lawsuit. Simply because stupid. it made news. Like, why did that even... Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Trump's America. Yeah. I know this was probably during Obama's administration, but still. We can still blame it. It was a precursor to Trump's America. <laughs> All right. So uh, Nick is the resident Steven Soderbergh fanboy slash historian here. So I'm going to yeah. let him go first. Well, he was born on. No. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely am. I fucking love Steven Soderbergh. And at this point. I'll admit that I don't think I can dislike a Soderbergh film. So take everything I say with even, a grain of salt. Even Haywire. You even Haywire. Yep, yep. I mean, I like them to varying degrees. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I certainly have favorites and whatnot. But at his worst, he's never not, I would say, playing in a sandbox of cinema and just trying something new in genres we already know, but with his own singular uh, style and... Uh, I would just say earnestness as a filmmaker uh, mm. to just put it all out there. Uh, Unsane for me is no different. Uh, we have seen psychological dramas of this kind uh, many times before from, you know, uh, Repulsion uh, by Roman Polanski to uh, what, Gothica with Halle Berry. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, I'm just saying like from all walks of life of cinema, this is not a new story, so to speak. Um, but, once again, Soderbergh kind of surprises me because we've already touched it, uh, on it, but he's not interested in drawing out the mystery of the story, and he's way more uh, concerned with simply detailing the psychological stress that this uh, imparts on his protagonist. And I absolutely love it for that because at the end of the day, he doesn't do anything that I would say is overtly you know, new or original, but... Uh, because he's such a technical auteurist, uh, I guess is what I would call him, um, I'm never not fascinated by what <laughs> brings him out of retirement, so to speak. Which, I don't mean even as a specific phrase, because I mean that just in a general sense. Because every time he picks a project, both before he said he was going to retire and after, he always seems like he landed on something that he feels like he needs to do. Not so much that the script itself needs to be seen, but that he needs to put his print on. And and for that, I'll always probably be fascinated by what he chooses. Can we put the retirement thing to bed as a complete farce, by the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, Because absolutely. not only was he not retired for a long time but he also did the nick in between oh yeah i was gonna say that's that's even funnier to me than like just making another movie past retirement but the idea that he would direct all 10 episodes (laughs) of an extremely what looked like a hard to shoot show just in uh in general so yeah no um how long was he retired two and a half years okay barely maybe i Uh, I feel like he was already filming the nick by the time but that's the thing that's what i'm saying it was it was pretty much a joke. Like the the idea of him being retired was yeah. non-existent. So, yeah. yeah, but he's always been like that. Um, he's extremely harsh on himself. Uh, maybe that's why why he endears himself to me. Mm. Uh, like for example, when he talks on some of the Criterion supplements on the film 
uh, King of the Hill, which is a fantastic movie. Everybody should see it Not about out. Hank Hill. Not about <laughs> Hank Hill. Yeah, I looked that up, and I was just like, shit. Yeah. I need to watch that. <laughs> um, but l- lovingly, Criterion released that movie, King of the Hill, on Blu-ray and DVD, but also included one of his lesser films just as a bonus feature. Like, they restored... Uh, uh, just a decent lesser Soderbergh film, just to have as a bonus feature, because they knew that it wouldn't be a seller as a you know on its, on own, its own. Yeah. But also, any Soderbergh fanatic would like to have it. And so he like goes on for twenty minutes talking about everything he hates about the underneath, which is that movie, <laughs> and what he would do differently, and basically like how much he just didn't care when he made it, which is. Ironic because when you watch it, it's not that bad. Like, it's not great, obviously, but it's so funny to see someone clearly have such talent, in my opinion, Mm. that even when he's at his worst and so disenfranchised from what he's making, he still has an eye for composition. He's grading himself on a curve. He's grading himself on on his own curve, and it's just like it doesn't really fall um, within the, the passing scale of his own. Like the, 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 the nice thing about Soderbergh too is it seems to me like like he is fine keeping his films as almost like a time capsule. Like he's not interested in Michael Mann going back and changing I, everything about the film. I was literally just about to say he's the antithesis to Michael Mann, <laughs> who is like Soderbergh. I believe is to be a kind of perfectionist, but one who accepts his flaws instead of uh, you know living in them. He's like, okay, that didn't, that didn't work out the the time that I did. What did I do wrong? How could I fix that in the next project sure. that I go exactly. for? Yeah. So Unsane is just another technical exercise from him for me. And I don't mean that as an insult. I think it, uh, for being a movie shot exclusively on iPhone, I, I love the idea that he may have saw Tangerine by Sean Baker and was like, no, I got to do that. Like, not as like a copycat, but like he, I genuinely think he is, I think filmmaking as an art is so infectious to Steven Soderbergh that when he sees something that he thinks he would bring his own, you know, style to, then he just wants to get in on it, so to speak. Um, Because he knows that a movie like Unsane, which is why he has his own now um, distributor, uh, which is basically a kind of a radical new way of distributing films and marketing them. Uh, If anybody's kind of interested in what he's doing uh, to try to save independent films in general, look at his company and their practices and how they sell and market films, because it's... uh, it's very different than what most, what all companies are doing, and I'm not going to get into it here. Um, but Unsane, even if it feels like a technical exercise from him, it's still just supremely entertaining. Uh, all these minor characters, even if they don't get like developed, all every moment they're on screen, they're never not uh, just telling that line of just... It, I'll say this. Unsane reminded me of a great... Uh, like dramatic exercise. Like when I used to be in theater back in high school and we used to like play a game and it was funny because I always felt like what we would do behind the scenes um, when we did random little one acts or whatnot were way more electrifying than whatever was the final product on stage because nobody would break character and everybody was trying almost harder to try to own their character before it got to some kind of uh, finished state that it became this living breathing organism and i think that's kind of what soderbergh has captured here with an iphone or in this case probably like what he probably had like at least like 10 iphones i mean the <laughs> angles in this movie yeah. are ridiculous from like one clearly on a table to one clearly in a corner 
It definitely has a multicam um, setup to it. For sure. Um, and so I, I just feel like everybody here is like doing a very, uh, I don't know, a very sophomoric drama exercise, but because the director is a, a giant and because these actors are extremely gifted, they elevate what would normally be a very boring story into something that is just so compulsively entertaining. And I have a lot of thoughts on like actual characters and, you know, story beats, but I'll pass it on by just saying that I, I absolutely love it because I think nobody's doing what Soderbergh does in a Hollywood template. Yeah. Right on. So, um, I went into this film with an open mind because the the kind of films that Steven Soderbergh makes, not that he necessarily has like a template or anything like that, but he definitely makes films with different tones. Um, and this fell into one of the tones of his that I don't really care for that much, to be yep. totally honest. I mean, I love the films like The Ocean's Films and... Uh, behind the candelabra and the informant that all have a very playful, silly, ridiculous tone to yeah. them mm-hmm. that is quite endearing, uh, I feel like. But this, uh, which falls into something more like Dramatic. side effects or even something like Contagion, which I think is a fantastic film, but is not something that I would say, oh, I that's the favorite kind of film that I like from Soderbergh. And I think for me, Contagion is my favorite example of this side of Soderbergh. Yeah, I'll say that at least. And and I would I would agree with that actually, but um, usually that's the side of Soderbergh that I'm the least interested in. So that being said, I think this is a very fantastic film. I was worried that I was going to feel more like I felt about side effects about this, which I just didn't care for. Um, but this I felt like worked so well because. This is an extraordinarily simple story that never tries to become overly complex, but yet I kept adds... waiting for it to get mm-hmm. more confusing, and and it just never happened. Yeah. However, that being said, this the the way that this film was made, it somehow continues to add on to itself throughout, but yet becomes no more complicated than when it starts, which is such a very interesting and unusual way of filmmaking i would say because this is such a simple story but yet when you think about the beginning and then where you ended up like so many different things occur throughout that make the film have peaks and valleys in such a great way but it never feels like it's holy shit i just felt like i watched inception for the first time and i have no idea what that was i know it was a blockbuster, but it was confusing and kind of stupid. Um, so I agree. Yeah. So, but for this film though, um, we have this very interesting storyline with Claire Foy's character, um, of Sawyer, uh, who she follows this very unusual path of going into the clinic, which is, is, it's amazing in this day and age because, uh, I love the idea of anybody seeking out help and being labeled an outcast for it. Yeah. Um, that is that is pretty much an earmark of something that is totally, I would say, acceptable in our current culture, which is something that is in dire need of a change in attitude. Mm-hmm. I'll say one thing, which is that the trailers make this out to be a horror film. 
And I will actually go on record saying that I think it is a horror film, but not for the movie that the trailers try to sell. Yeah, it's so not a speak. it's not a horror film because this woman is being or perhaps not being stalked by um, her stalker. Um, it's a horror film because of the the uncanny eerie plausibility of this scenario and how it could actually play out oh no like this, it's just this film um a lot of the the actions that happen and i it's obviously a different sort of um and not the events of like somebody murdering people mm-hmm. but um i, I don't want to compare the two actions of like holding somebody for seven days and trying for insurance money uh and the thing i'm going to compare it to but the idea of it just being part of a system, yeah, uh, you know, this has a lot of similarities yeah. in plot structure to a film uh, that was a great film called Spotlight that you oh, would yeah. know of that won Best Picture. Yeah, um, this idea of just being caught in this cycle and having nobody to talk to because uh, everyone is just pretty much accepted with this, and the yeah. idea of uh, the breaks into this uh the idea of the media then getting involved in it um definitely <laughs> made me feel the same way and boy um that reveal uh the more i've thought about it is such a Which... huge game-changing moment in this the idea uh that jay farrow's okay. character was a journalist yeah and i love that aspect of it too that he is referred to as a journalist mm-hmm. not as a at whatever mm-hmm. he's referred to as a journalist who yeah. was in there and the idea that um, it all just comes crumbling down after that because, in, in all honesty, um, this film of all the Soderbergh films, ah, maybe not. But of the ones I'm thinking of right now, this has the most Coen Brothers feel to me of any of the Soderbergh I films can see that. because the the Coens have very um loud thoughts on certain groups specifically law enforcement whatever yeah. uh, and this is going out of its way to pretty much swipe its hand uh at, at this group and a very satisfying finale of pretty much all of these people getting arrested and yeah. being taken off the premises for holding these people against their will well and that's i think for me at least the key to soderbergh is that I feel like there's not as much of a dichotomy between his playful films and his serious films as most people think because while I agree that, like you said, his oceans and informant and whatnot are more overtly comedic, I think the reason I love Soderbergh is that his most serious films could basically be seen as the darkest of comedies. Yeah. You know, and because they play it so straight and and so well um, that it is kind of funny when... Uh, Jay Farrow has to like show her the ropes and she's like you're making it sound like I'm in prison which is like a certainly on the nose line but it's also just kind of it always shows that Soderbergh is never presenting something that is beneath any Mm. you know one thing Um, but what I was going to say about it being a horror film is that for me at least especially as someone who has been a patient of mental health care Mm -hmm. The idea, like, this taps into your worst fear. Right. The idea that your autonomy is taken away from you Mm. simply because you ask for help. Right. Like, that is one of the creepiest things 
I can ever think of mm. to happen to anybody, let alone to happen she, in fiction. Just the process of how she was processed, yeah. how she was just sitting in the lobby, and then she was led by a person, and he's like, come on, let's go. And he's like, didn't even explain what was going on. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to need you to give me your uh, your phone and your bag and stuff. It's just against protocol. It, and it's like, at that point is when you fucking leave. It, it, yeah. it, it, in all honesty, it, it feels like the betrayal that we've seen in cinema many times of how Jews were treated during the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. Ironically, what I was going to say is that when those when the intake scenes mm-hmm. make me feel like she's joining a Scientology-like cult, yeah. not the rest of the movie, yeah. but just the way that they you know induce new patients yeah. and, and uh, patient intake – they just uh, obscure what I, is the if actual... If I'm thinking of Scientology, yeah. even if it's such a paltry comparison, mm-hmm. it's not that's a good fucked scene. up. Yeah. And considering that's kind of... I'm not saying that this is exactly what's happening. No. Whatever. But the fact that this is only six degrees removed... It is totally in that vein that yeah. that's... Yeah. It's yeah. not good. Well, in the in the idea that this is... This is... A, acceptable... It's actually, and this is this is getting a little specific for just opening comments, but yeah. we we're pretty much there at this point because you went for a while and I have now. But um, one of the more disturbing parts of this film has nothing to do with what happens in the actual um, building that we spend most of the time in. It was actually the conversation that the mother has with her lawyer oh, yeah. when she's Ooh. trying to uh, have Sawyer removed from there. And he basically tells her, this is just kind of part of the system, so yeah. she'll be released in seven days and everything will be fine. I will do everything in my power to reunite your like your daughter with you. Right. Click. Did he just hang up on me? <laughs> he hangs up on yeah. her, yeah. too. The greatest thing about that, too, is that when another director would have made sure that they had that uh, conversation in person, Soderbergh knows that... Not only is it a more realistic, but it's just way more thematically fitting that he's just a faceless person, mm-hmm. you know, that he's just a voice that hangs up on her essentially yeah. and, uh, because he doesn't care. And, and I think that that's kind of goes to my original one of my original points that I was talking about when we started talking about Unsane is that the idea of this being a film that either was being shot concurrently or like in a short time period after Logan Lucky, yeah, uh, and then is released in seven months afterwards or whatever it was, um, I think is actually pretty fascinating because I think this is a really well-done work that um, is going to be, I don't want to say a cult film, but I think a film that people could easily go back to and mm. watch years later and, and catch some steam uh, because it's 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 just a fantastic film and it really does have a, a really strong ending part to it. I mean, between the, the scene with... Uh, the police, uh, including the police who were part of the problem, uh, arriving uh, towards the end, um, and then uh, the the capture of her, and oh boy, the idea that she is no longer on the premises and he's kidnapped her, uh, and oh man, and then oh when she's in the trunk uh, with the dead mother and he says, "Hi, mom!" Oh my god. <laughs> What a! I laughed out loud at that. <laughs> of course you did. Were, I shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> no, that's a Nick moment. I, I was not expecting that's it to be honest. Yeah. 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 So no, it was. Uh, there was also another great, great line when uh, after she clearly knows that that is actually You're him just getting medication. When, yeah, and he yep. says something to the tune of, "Oh, here's your medication. I'm sorry, sorry." I think she says, like, "Sweet dreams." 
No, she's oh. well, well. She says "drop dead," which yeah. is awesome. I mean, I think he says "sweet." Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so so it it was just a fantastic film, and I think part of the reason why I liked it so much is I was just not expecting this to be this kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it was well done. Acting performances, for the most part, across the board, were really good. Um, and and this is just a, another well done work by Steven Soderbergh. Moving on to Hassan. Finally, sorry, we kind yeah. of stolen the. No, here. no, that's it's yeah. fine. I I don't have a lot to say about this mm-hmm. film just because honestly I don't have the same like referent for for Steven Soderbergh. I honestly up to this point I thought I only had seen one other film by him, which was The Informant, which was with you guys, and which yeah. I also want to resee again just because I feel like I would appreciate it more after initial viewing and knowing. What I'm getting into with that film. I'm going to say the douchiest thing I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> yes, please. And No, I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and I think The Informant is what I would call advanced Soderbergh. Okay. Which is that like so many of his films should be seen before you watch The okay. Informant. Okay, yeah. All right. I don't mean you. I yeah. just meant like in the in general, general cultural okay. sense. Anyways, All right. I just yeah. felt like throwing that out there, which is why I'm glad to hear you say you want to rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, I do want to rewatch it. Um, And I actually happen to have seen Haywire. I actually have seen Haywire. I'm just like, holy shit. Like, he directed it. That was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, So I've seen that, and I've seen The Informant, and now I have seen this. So I don't really have much to go on for, like, his personal style. Not a Steven Soderbergh aficionado. No, I'm not. But I, (laughs) he seems like a type of director that I would would enjoy learning more about and, like, engaging more with his films but Mike go, go go see the film out of sight okay it's it's real good we'll and, watch that at some point yeah. and and also i mean it's probably his most dramatic film but the film traffic yeah. super good yeah i remember traffic i mean i didn't see it when it first came out because i was too young to have seen it mm-hmm. but it's kind of funny to think of steven soderbergh as a mainstream artist because even though he's always for the most part worked in a hollywood setting uh, the idea that traffic became such a hit. I mean, I remember my parents, who at the time, because I was still young, were not going to the movies regularly, mm-hmm. went out of their way to get a babysitter to go see traffic because of what they heard about. I it. mean, and the other thing about traffic, and I'm sorry that we're getting off on a tangent here, but that is like of of people who have had big time acting careers. Like yeah. that was early Don Cheadle. Yeah. Early Benicio del Toro, which is like the role that really like put him on the map. That's true. Um, and, and it is just a, a Topher Grace. Film. Yeah, that's something. Uh, no, it is a fantastic film. But like Nick was saying, there's not a lot of Soderbergh films that aren't worth a watch. So yeah, sorry. Um, that's right. Um, what my initial impression of this film was, having known very very little about Soderbergh, knowing that it was filmed with an iPhone, knowing that it had sort of this ensemble cast, knowing that it was coming perhaps a year after his big return, after supposed retirement with Logan Lucky, I thought of this in terms of what what I understood. It was as like four months after. Four months, yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's not even a year. Yeah, not not even a year. It's like it, it, it strikes me as sort of like one of those weird interstitial like projects that Christopher Nolan would do in between like his Dark Knight trilogy like he would have um, he, he don't, would, he, don't he, do Soderbergh no, like that no 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 I'm not trying to do Soderbergh <laughs> like that I'm saying it's like they're still interesting I'm just saying that these, this is sort of like a like a a, a, a stopgap to like experiment with something else other than what he's perhaps more known for can I that was my impression fill in a least. blank really quick yeah sure is it anything like how um, Joss Whedon did not want to make 
an Avengers sequel without doing a random project, yeah, which turned out to be what, a uh, adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing that's what shot I'm saying. in his house. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean by interstitial something projects. Something like, I have to shake this out of my system right, yeah. before I go back to something a little more. Yeah. And, I feel and, like it, the only reason why I scoffed at your Christopher Nolan thing, because like his in-between projects are like are Inception ridiculous Interstellar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like but yeah. with, with um, in the case of this film, it's like having again, not known much about him, it kind of struck me as sort of a... This is going to sound mean. It kind of strikes me... like just, just the conceit of it sounds like a midlife crisis project where it's like, oh, all these kids nowadays are filming films on their fucking iPhones. I can show them. And I'm just like, I, I don't know anyone else who is who is directing films like that other than like what you were talking about uh the was it the floor project or was it tangerine uh sean baker tangerine yeah, yeah. with like tangerine or that one awful movie that i watched uh <laughs> escape from tomorrow which is just god awful yeah yeah like but but this is i i didn't like when i'm actually watching this film is like i don't feel like this is just a gimmick this just happens to be the 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 medium or or, or the the method that he's like working through is like this is actually filmed by a capable director who knows what the fuck he's doing. It's almost like bragging. Yeah, it's almost like bragging. It's like <laughs> saying it's like, look, I can fucking film this on an iPhone. What, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? This is this is, and I mean, it, it it's noticeable at mm. points, but I, unfortunately, I have to say. This film looked pretty fucking good for being filmed. Yeah, on an it iPhone. did, and I, you know, the, <laughs> it, it doesn't go out of its way to try to disguise the fact that it's filmed on an iPhone because you, there's there's the expository scenes where she's like walking to work, and it's like through um, uh, through the gaps of like foliage and and trees and stuff like that, and then there's like the whole shot reverse shot of her on the 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 park bench talking to her mom after she gets off that call and stuff like that. I, I mean, I would if Steven Soderbergh wants a challenge, like I would say go out and try again with an iPhone one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I I enjoyed a don't lot of challenge him. I I, 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 I don't want to now. <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of the the performances and story and this. Like I when I, when I was initially watching it, I was a little bit bored. I will admit that I was a little bit bored. But as soon as like things start ramping up, I think it's as soon as they they. The veil is dropped. We know what the fuck is going on. We know that this person is actually in this hospital and is doing that. When he drops the one pill into her in, into her pill dosage and she ends up like downing it and then she has like that fucking psychotic episode, whatever you want to call it, where it, it's like a, like a double exposure between two different feeds of her like looking for like markers or some shit like that. That was something, that by was, the way. Yeah, that was – that was – um. At that point, I was just like, okay, I'm I'm willing to to entertain this. I'm I would interested. I would be unfortunate if you decided to drop acid before going to see the film. Yeah, <laughs> man, wow. Um, I like that. Of movie. all the films, you could have. <laughs> they you thought it would have been totally you, fine. You just <laughs> thought it was a random thing. It's like you know, sometimes I just like to go to the theater and drop acid and go see a random film. Man, you fucked up. Just got slapped in the face with a donkey dick. Man, yeah. you just, you oh. fucked up, man. Um. <laughs> One thing I was going to say is that, no, I'm completely on board for that scene where the two scenes are interlaid over mm -hmm. each other, mostly because it doesn't really go over the top. Like, it's no. never anything more than something you can literally do on an iPhone, not to shoot, but, like, it's a very simple effect. And yet, that's also kind of why I like it. Um, the only thing I would say I wish he got rid of from this movie. Or dialed back. 
dialed back yeah. is that I think from the very start th- there never should have been any uh, fake outs uh, when it comes to the face of her stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, Where it's like the quick like cuts. Yeah, I, I don't mind it when she's in the office and she sees the back of a person because that's just the normal kind mm-hmm. of whatever. But I'm considering where this film goes. Like, I'm of the mind that truth is stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. So if she had never... Because essentially, in the very beginning, doesn't she essentially see a person you know that's what? not I, there and yeah. then becomes a stalker, which I, doesn't make sense. I have to say I kind of disagree with okay. you. And, and I mean, I'll, it doesn't bother me that much. No, uh, well, I'll say it because I feel like it is somewhat important early on because... It has to. Ha- you have to have her doubting herself early on in the story before she's able to piece the whole picture together. But yeah, I didn't feel like that. I understand where you're coming coming from with that, but even even I'm, but I'm, she doesn't I'm, see I'm, him until she's admitted. So right, she's already. But I but, guess, but but it are had, you talking? It, well, I guess no, you're, no, you're talking I, about the I'm, Tinder date. No, I'm talking about when she slaps the guy because it has her doubting herself. And the idea of her doubting herself is somewhat important early on in this film because she has not grasped the full idea that she may actually need to be here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but then as we go on, it becomes very clear. Um, so that's why I actually kind of like that I can part. See that. But, but yeah. Especially in the way that the, uh, I guess what I'm mostly not necessarily confusing, but I'm conflating mm-hmm. is the idea that A, certain sexual events can be triggering. Mm -hmm. So I can totally see that as a visualization, which is why I don't really hate it, so to speak. Um, I guess it just gets slightly confusing just before the convergence of realizing that she's not crazy at all when it comes to uh, identifying him. So the the whole triggering, because then it almost seems like because Soderbergh drops the notion that – there's any confusion whatsoever. It it almost becomes weird in the fact that it disappears the moment the audience knows that she's okay. So I guess I, I, I there there could have been for me some kind of like second through in the editing bay. It could in, be. in that in that aspect. No, and I, I say that I, as someone I mean, who pretty much I, I think didn't that I think it. the thing is for me is that I, I, I I completely see what you're saying, but I still feel like the way that the film actually portrayed makes sense to me. Yeah. So it, it, it probably could have actually worked either way. Yeah, so. I guess that's actually probably what I would agree with. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess I'm a little bit on the fence about I'm, – I'm not a little bit on the fence. I am totally just – I'm a little bit perturbed by the fact that it, it, it starts out with this – this mood of uncertainty and then it totally dissuades that and then its climax tries to re-inject that uncertainty of her own like mental stability in that way and i feel like there's a way that you could have like tied that through line throughout it yeah there's a way that you you could play with 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 that sort of like that mental uncertainty while she's also confronting the reality and parsing the reality of of her stalker actually existing in that same place as her it's just that ending where she like runs out of the the diner and it turns back and it's like a freeze frame. I laughed a little bit because it was like unsolved mysteries. You know Soderbergh is a freeze frame. Oh, he is. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. 
not just endings, but even like mid scenes. He okay. loves freeze frames. Oh, so yeah. I'm Especially, not saying that makes it better, right? But just to yeah. let you know that that's a Especially to end films too. Right? Oh, true. Yeah. I, yeah. Like all I'm saying is that the Brad Pitt in Ocean's Twelve after he uh, jumps out of the window. Well, that one too. There's actually a lot of great freeze frames in Ocean's Twelve. It's at the 12. very end of the film with Catherine Zeta-Jones. There's that Ocean too. 12. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh, the the end. And, and uh, I'm not going to get into this because we've right. had this discussion multiple times, okay. but I would not classify this film as a horror film, but we don't have to have this. <laughs> I think I probably actually have more to, to fight with here than I did with Don't Breathe, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still don't understand that's that. That's fine. Okay. We're good. I'm very we interested to I'm, one day hone in on, on the specific okay. criteria we'll, of a we'll, horror film. We'll need film. to watch it again. We'll all need to be drinking okay. heavily, and, yeah. then, well, and then I'll explain. Honestly, yeah. really quick. Have you ever seen this trend on the internet now where people are having parties? No, this is a real thing. Hmm? Where they have parties where they have drunk PowerPoints. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. I'm honestly fascinated by it. Yeah. I would totally love to Where they it. have to do a presentation about something that they're passionate yes. about. Yeah. So at this point, if we ever do that, I'm going to do a drunk PowerPoint on why Don't Breathe is a horror okay. film and everybody's fucking stupid. At can, I, can I do one of why it isn't? Because, I mean, that could be... <laughs> I mean, it would make the party a little monotonous, but I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, we could have, like, a debate. Cause I took a debate class. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't even be a, a drunk, PowerPoint. It'll just a be a drunk debate. debating. Dude, I'm, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have, like, note anyway. cards and, like, a... Like a like a, a blazer, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so anyways, I feel like that ending is actually a weird homage to silly horror tropes because the mm. idea of her seeing her attacker, even though she knows he's dead, yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. It was, I, it was, yeah. Here's what I like about that ending: it's it it a it works exactly as what you're saying, which is that it is the ending of so many horror films, mm-hmm. uh, like Don't Breathe, uh, where you know the terror is not over, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jason lives, whatever. Um, but what I really like about this ending in this particular movie is that I like how it almost suggests that everything that happened in the movie was such a fucking profound waste of time for her. Like when she wanted to get better, she had to deal with an, you know, an actual psychopath and murderer. So therefore she could not actually work on her PTSD, so to speak. And, and like that in and of itself is a condemnation of the mental health profession and how they didn't catch this and how they facilitate, uh, a, a, a bureaucracy well, and, that allows us to and flourish. Just like just like people who are in plane crashes, she's not going back to see anybody. Yeah, yeah. And, that. and that's and you know, and we see her early in the movie uh, before she gets admitted and all that, where she has her Tinder date, and the way she asserts herself, um, which at the very beginning of the movie, I was a little unsure about, not because I don't think that a she has the right to do that, or b that it's out of character, but because I didn't just I didn't know her, so I didn't know if it was just a stupid character detail but now that i've seen the entire movie but for her to basically dictate the terms of exactly what that date is going to be mm-hmm. and what she wants out of it is very interesting now that i've seen the entire movie and i know her as a character because of course she would because at the end of the day like that is not her being cold that is not her being whatever that is her in survival mode mm-hmm. trying to say that I can't do anything beyond this because somebody else, at least for right now, has ruined any semblance of normalcy. And how, how about yeah. and, and not that he reacted in a way that isn't acceptable, really in that sort of situation, but the dude uh, in that situation then 
uh, when she just kind of breaks down is just like, I didn't do anything inappropriate here. Uh, yeah. Which which maybe is completely correct. Right. Because, I mean, that's But it's kind still of a... like the wrong reaction. Yeah. yeah. the way he's like, what the, f-? like, the way he just leaves because he's, yeah. ups- he's upset that, and like. He, and, well, and he feels like she maybe is, like, trying to, like, create some situation where he's, like, a predator. Which I kind of get because it's, it's such a scary situation that you have no idea what that person's capable of. Right in that moment. I, I mean, yeah, that's. I, but at the same time, yeah. it's just like, ah, no one's a winner. No. <laughs> so, um, I will say we've. I've, I've said this before, but Claire Foy just puts on a fabulous performance here as as Sawyer. I feel like the idea of her um, clearly uh, disjointed. She's going for some shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her disjointed relationship with her mother is very interesting throughout yeah. this, um, and we have very interesting character details of of the mother because we don't see much of her, we don't know much about her, uh, and it's not just a prop. I feel like, but the idea of her having the cross necklace and then that being used as the the, the weapon to kill her attacker, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. I feel like is not an accident, uh, and. Uh, the idea that that Sawyer's relationship with her mother is strained because of what happened, and the mother doesn't know why it's strained, and then we have the entire addition uh, of everything that happened with the father, and almost that her attacker used that as an in yeah. into that is 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 just horrifying. Yeah. yeah, I the the creepy thing about that is I didn't even realize that. I mean, I guess I did when I was watching the scene when they're at the funeral and he's like, "Well, he would want this." Like mm. Jesus like, Christ. Him saying that creeped me out so much that I didn't even think about how wrong it is. I just thought of how mm. uncomfortable that moment was. Yeah. And I got to say um what you just touched on as far as the mother not knowing what she went through because she kept it from her is a great example of how I think this is one of my favorite villains in quite some time because he's not a bad person solely because of like the physical violence that he uh, exerts on. But the psychological. Yes. Oh, yeah. And how, A, that can ruin relationships. B, how that can obviously make her doubt herself so much that she would get herself in this situation to begin with. Uh, and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of self-hate, self-doubt, and so many other things that the idea that her mother is a genuinely good person. I was actually waiting for the shoe to drop, so so to speak, of Dude. like her like being like, oh, just not understanding, mm-hmm. like having a clue with like, ha-ha, you'll be fine after seven days. Ha-ha-ha, horror trope. Uh, but, but no. No, and um, and how that just makes it all just that much more sadder. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. So I'm glad I just remembered it. Uh, and this is actually one of my favorite scenes of the entire film, especially seeing the entire thing play out now. How about that opening lid lifting scene with her and her boss at her job? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no. We should go together, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty inexperienced. Well, I could help you with that. Dude. I think I should go back to work. Yeah. Yeah. You should do do that. Yeah. It, the, the worst part of that, just being a creep ass boss mm. with a, a victim mm. of stalking, mm-hmm. um, She's at yeah, a, true. and she's at a she's at a job that she's just trying to return to some normalcy, and here is this white male mm-hmm. uh, who is just he can't help it. He <laughs> well, can't I said, help but, it. But, but but the worst part, no, the worst care. part of the entire situation, 
is he's not overtly saying anything to completely implicate but him. But that's... But that's, that's part of the fucking problem yeah. is he is just creepily saying in not so many words, you should come along and fuck me because that would be good for you. Yeah, that would be good for the, the for the company morale. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I said this to Alex, and I'm curious what you would think, Tucson. What? The night that we had seen it, I said that for me, one of the reasons why I like that scene between her and her boss mm-hmm. was that, uh, at least to me, it, it kind of showed me at least how that the boss and the stalker, in my opinion, are like only two or so degrees removed. Like they have the same predatory mm-hmm. uh, beliefs about uh, the fantasy that they have, you know, uh, built up in their mind. Right. That they don't consider the other people in their own orbit and who they try to, uh, shall we say, that I feel like what the, one one the, just one just happens to be a high ranking person right. and one is a person who's creepily standing behind people at a a um what a, where were they at where where she met him I can't remember who was where? it a uh, it wasn't a nursing home was it yeah. Was it? It, was, uh, yeah, it was it was a hospice center. Hospice like a hospice. Center. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um because I for me at least one of the reasons why I like this movie mm. is that I feel like one of the ironies of this entire plot is that the whole time they're trying to treat her, they're literally missing the person they should be treating. Yeah. And I don't mean that in that she doesn't need help or that mm. she couldn't use help, mm. but that is the ultimate But if anything failure. they are they are sort of uh what's the word for it? They are enabling the very yeah. the the very behavior that they are ostensibly designed yeah. to 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 treat and you, and to and, how, and to how about, believe. How about the idea that he's completely trusted because he got past their process? Yeah, uh, I was like, oh man, I was like, thank God if, for you. Ooh. If you take away his uh, aggressive behavior, mm-hmm. so to speak, he's. A perfect candidate for mental health reform. I yeah. mean, he—he's a person who's suffering, unfortunately, from things like loneliness mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, delusional fantasies yeah. of what could improve his oh, life. It, it's have... so nice that you're putting in extra time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying he's uh, crazy, but, but your, your in comparison general, between the boss and the stalker—I would actually agree with that. I think that they are—they are both so caught up in their own um, their own situation that they're—they have no regard of. Their the the, the, the object of the object of their affection is just that it is an object. It is yeah. not a person who is an agent of their own autonomy. It exactly. is just they are just an objective. Well, yeah, and the, it, when in, in a capitalist society, right. we of course allow people like that boss to flourish and to well, at least recently uh, uh, to allow uh, them to do these kind of things because right. it's to be expected. Well, but it's to be come, expected. If yeah. you don't come from a certain background or right. if you don't have a certain, uh, I don't know, stature, mm-hmm. uh, then it's just gross. Right. That's what I mean. Is the yeah. behavior is the same, but the people are not, and that's what's creepy now, about it. It's almost as if there are certain privileges that are, are bestowed upon what? like uh, certain like authority. Extrapolate. Like, oh, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the, that's the other thing of he just feels like he can just say this. and yeah. Well, he could advance her career, so sounds, why wouldn't she? And this is going to sound horrible, <laughs> but I just mean this in more of a, not devil's advocate, yeah. but just in a creepy way. Right. But, like... 
at least the other guy is being truthful about what he's saying. Yeah, like, at least he's like, like that's not his. That's not his problem. His yeah. problem is obviously other things. Oh yeah. But here, uh, it's just know, dog whistles and 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 insinuations and locker room talk. Lock. Yeah. Well, not locker room talk. It's adjacent oh. to locker room. Hey, yeah. You know what? You know what though? Yeah. After she rejects him, I thought he tells oh, his other buddies go, that he's she's gonna a go bitch. to the locker room. So she's a she's a prude bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Before. She's hard to work with. Oh, oh she's hard to work with. Um, before we get into any final ratings, I do uh-huh. want to, all three of us, what, and I have thoughts, but I want to know your guys' thoughts. What did you think of the, what I would call, and before Juno Tempo showed up, but we can talk about that. But what did you think of the padded room scene? The dressing down of the stalker and the you know just their big. Why, why don't you go to Sod since you're you're new to Soderbergh? You the mean the part. the scene where she's just like laying into him and yeah. it's like you like, don't was that fucking... cathartic or was that just I, over the top or I liked it and I thought it was really ballsy. I was like, wow, I'm just like like it, it's something that needed to be said. And I'm just like, you're not in love with me. You're in love with the idea of me. He's like, no, no, the parts of like the like you being a bitch and you being mean to people and stuff that's not you and I'm just like that is exactly who I am and if you're not willing to accept those things let alone see me as a person then <laughs> no you don't love me I'm just like man like, can I, can yeah. I, can I, that's what that's what needed to be it, I wasn't surprised by it. I was just yeah. like I I, I, I I it needed to be said yeah regardless of the course of the story this yeah. is like something that needs to be said yeah you know, I was just going to say that that the whole way that it plays out from start to finish is very interesting of how when he comes in, he's sort of playing the role of the predator chasing her around the room. Yeah, it is and then literally it, like, like literally, animals. Right, and then it changes around of her pushing him around the room, and mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. Now, you asked to not involve the stuff... Uh, that that comes in the second well, part I meant of that before scene. we get to that stuff. Before we get to that, but because I have thoughts before we get to that. Okay, so why don't you give that, and okay. then I will give you my thoughts about after because I, as you already know, I have some thoughts. Oh on yeah, that. Yep. no, and uh, I do as well. But I'll say just their confrontation between mm-hmm. the two of them. Um, it it is easily one of the most uh, profoundly uncomfortable scenes I've seen in cinema because I would not consider myself a horrible person or anything like that but i've had crushes i've had idealizations of people i may have been uh attracted to in which i've recognized the root of that kind of behavior Mm -hmm. i i I like to pride myself that i've never been yeah i think that bad of a person yeah you've got some self-awareness yeah yeah but i totally understand where that kind of seed gets planted Uh and so for that dressing down to occur in a way in which she doesn't seem like she's doing it out of cruelty but out of just matter exasperation yeah Yeah. just kind of like no like if only you'd get over this then maybe we could be together yeah and like that's what's so creepy about the whole thing and so i absolutely love that scene because for a movie that is at least somewhat predicated on who's crazy who's not in the end, we all are and we all are not. Um, mm-hmm. That that was the most truthful thing that was basically said. Yeah. And it was said in a padded room in which he willingly walks into. Like, I feel like that visual metaphor mm-hmm. of that alone, which I got to say one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this may just be a production design error, mm-hmm. but 
I, I fixated on something that made me very uncomfortable. If you look at the padded room, uh, there is a corner of the room. Yes. So are, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, that doesn't have any padding or anything yes. like that. Yeah, what the fuck is that? Okay. there And I like could not get it. Like It was like going to yeah. make me like scratch my skin because I was genuinely trying to figure out whether it was intentional or not. Yeah. Because like, I could totally see it just be one of those things. But there's yes, there is a a, a little a, corner. A little it's, corner. It's, it's not even a corner. It's just like because I kept thinking it was a door yeah. until eventually I could see the other angle, yeah. and I realized that it's actually a pad that's basically just been pushed in, and uh, or maybe not a whole pad, mm-hmm. but it's at least part of one. Yeah, and that whole visual motif of this see, you know, this thing that essentially allows uh, I, I don't know almost. Uh, almost like a porous nature mm-hmm. of this truth to just gradually fill this room and, mm-hmm. and, and secretly or subtly, I don't know, yeah. sneak in. It just made me profoundly uncomfortable yeah. just yeah. fixating on that. Yeah. So, anyway. I will say yeah. um, something that just made me not sure how to feel about the character yeah. in this film, the main character and some of the other characters uh, and I think something that pushed this for me from being a a pretty good film to a really good film, and and I, I say that because I have a somewhat negative feel about this part, but yeah. boy, it is it is something to think about, and made me think about this film for days past when I saw it. Um, the idea that she leads her main rival, who also happens to be clearly somebody who needs help, yeah. Into a situation oh, where he yeah. wants to uh, have a threesome with them, mm-hmm. and then a she uses her weapon uh, to. Oh, the first part's not bad. It's yeah. not bad because she uses her at weapon. At the very least, to, she however, could have been orchestrating. That however, to save her, but... the problem is, is she she leaves yes the rival there almost as prey for yeah. her escape. Yeah, and almost like. She's a real crazy person, so you can have that. I'm out of here. I don't think that was the. Oh. No, I can see it as a byproduct. <laughs> I, I think it's yeah. I think I, and, I think and, it's, and it's, I, it's it's purely no, a flight no, sort no, of thing. It, 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 and I, I, I agree she was with a you. means to an end. Yeah, I, I oh, agree. Yeah. But yeah. that's still a fucking. Problem. I know. I know no, 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 that. No. I know it's a fucked up. Pro- I know. I, I, I know. I know it's fucked. I'll, but I don't think it's deliberate. I'll back up Alex 100 percent and say when I was seeking out a therapist. I contacted a few different mm-hmm. – uh, I'm not bragging. Yeah. I have a PPO, so right. I was able to at least search for one, so right. to speak. So when I used to essentially email them and mm-hmm. try to figure out what I might, who I want to see or mm-hmm. what I might need treatment for, I had a somewhat – and I think just anybody who goes through that process right. does. I had a kind of God complex. Like, well, do I need this? Like, are there other people that yeah. – like, do the people that go to see – such and such, are, are we on the same level? And so, and that in and of itself mm. is, I think, something that's not entirely my fault, but mm. is ingrained by the way we talk about mental health right, in, yeah. in general. But I took that as a complete uh, blunt, basically, analogy for how we essentially believe that, you know, the idea that we don't want to be labeled something that's side by side with somebody else as to what they might be, that we might be both suffering from a similar mm-hmm. uh, right. infliction. Because there's be- still some or, type of hierarchical Or yeah. just because you have a different condition, if yeah. you want to call it that. So somehow it's either better or worse. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, 
a reason why... And I, I do want to say really quick that mm-hmm. I am better than everybody I was thinking of go. in that scenario. We, we already knew that, my, but it's right. my depressing. But I want to make sure my I ass. put it on the record. No, so um, the idea, and I think that what saves it for me a little bit, not because yeah. not I was already like not on the fence about it in a filmmaking decision, but is like an actual thing where I was just like very uncomfortable with the idea that she led her in there as a means to an escape. Um, but the idea that a, she closes and locks the door behind her mm-hmm. is very uncomfortable. But then the only way that that's able to end is with him violently oh, just my, breaking her yeah. neck right in front of the camera yeah. was just the biggest gut punch for me because she is such a minor character for the most part in this film, but I felt like, oh man, she just killed that poor girl. Uh, and I, <sighs> I'll say I'm gonna pivot and say I'm also with Toussaint. Yeah, because I feel like when she closes and locks the door, she believes in her head that mm-hmm. she's going to be able to go and get somebody, mm-hmm. and you know, essentially rescue her. But that in and of itself, she basically doesn't realize that her actions do lead to, uh, unfortunately, the de- she demise was, she of somebody else. She wasn't thinking about forfeiting right. her that that girl's life in yeah. lieu of her own. She was thinking about that fucking shiv that right. she had. But, I, but, I agree but, that but I, dude, it can come off like that. I know, I know, oh, I know. And that's why I think there is a hierarchy, which is that you... You deserve to be the bait, <laughs> but yeah. don't worry. I'll then but, not realizing that uh, that's those another, two things can't coexist peacefully. That, that's another fabulous thing about the way that Steven Soderbergh is a filmmaker, because the way that that scene plays out is actually how I feel like it would feel. Not that I would know or ever I'm going to know, but how that entirety plays out in real life as all of a sudden this scene that was going very slow, all of this action happens in about like maybe yeah. 11 seconds. And this film goes from zero to 90. And all of a sudden she's stabbed him. She's escaped, locked the door. He's killed her and she's running in the middle of the dark. Yeah. Like, and she shit still... has just flown off the map, but it... and beyond yeah. survival yeah. instinct, she still witnesses it. And yet is able to run away yeah. and and not be affected by it, uh, uh, so to and, speak. And we still have the hi mom scene after that, which is oh man, that's something. That's great. So, do you want to go to ratings, or yeah. do you have any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Tucson, why don't you go first? Yeah. Okay. Um, I give this a three out of five. I really, I I did enjoy it. Like it, I, for whatever problems I might have, like with some of the the thematic through lines, whether or not they they are actually through throughout the actual like like meat of the story itself. I I walked away with this as as sort of like a like a net positive experience. Um started off a little boring and then I was very engrossed by the end and I wanted to see it through. And I am actually more curious now to see more Steven Soderbergh films after this one than I have been from perhaps any other film that I've seen before this just because like it's it, it it's interesting to 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 sort of sense that there there is sort of a commonality to a larger body of work that I'm not aware of, and I'm looking forward to exploring the, the, that. It's a, for me, it's a technical 
commonality. Like it's not yeah. like a Coen Brothers movie where yeah. it's not thematic. You, it's not like exactly yeah. where you see like these, uh, you know, uh, like oh, that's a very Coen Brothers character. Right. It is way more of like a oh, that's a very clinical way of showing that you know how to fucking make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing about some of his other films, the one one of them that you've seen. I mean, the informant, you need repeat viewings to appreciate. Oh, yeah. There's really no way around it. Yeah. It's like seeing the big Lebowski for the first time and being like, mm, okay, I don't know why everyone's fucking talking about the dude. I just, I, I just remember watching that with you guys, and there was like this one moment where he's like walking into a house, and he's just like going through his like whole spiel again, and you two are just cracking the fuck oh, yeah. up. You are just like losing your minds, we, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm not plugged into this, and, I'm, yeah, and, I, and I want to be. And honestly, yeah. like even if somebody wasn't and never will be, like yeah. that's totally understandable. But yeah. Man, when you're on that movie's wavelength, that is yeah. one of the funniest it, movies it, it ever. It delivers made. for you, let me tell you. Oh man, when he's maybe you should track Bry out. <laughs> See, I can just say that. Yeah, no, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. He's talking about avocados. Who wants that texture in their mouth? <laughs> How is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. Speaking did, of that, we didn't even we hit didn't on even, Matt Damon yeah, showing we up didn't in mention this. Oh Matt yeah, Damon you did. Holy oh, shit. Yeah, oh, that was awesome. The, the thespian who plays Loki. That's just <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. When he shows up, I assumed the he gift was going, of fear. I assumed that he was going to have a somewhat more major role that showed up later, almost like an Interstellar. Uh, but no, this is just a straight cameo. Actually, it's a, a lot like Interstellar because well, he shows a, up and then just leaves. Interstellar, but, he's got more screen time, more lines, whatever. Here, uh, his explanation of, of the, the book, oh man. Is it is weird he, that I think that that's written by him? Oh, I, I'm sure <laughs> Because like he didn't say his name, so yeah. when he's like, oh, this book will be your Bible, yeah. I felt like, oh, like it's... It, totally not canon at all is but. matt damon like one of Soderbergh. the most no one of no. the most prominent like big name actors who most recently has been known for a lot of cameos right now because i know i see him he, from like thor Thor ragnarok and thor i see him in this special thing yeah he's a Soderbergh Soderbergh. player yeah. okay so that's really why that and he decided here. to do this instead of getting a phoenix tattoo on his back so. oh yeah <laughs> poor Poor Affleck. Choice. Are we sure we want to say poor Affleck? <laughs> mm, I don't really. Like... That works for any Affleck. <laughs> no. Ooh. Oh man. Casey's, Casey's having a rough go in Hollywood these oh, days. Is... Almost as bad as James Franco. Oh. Not yeah, almost, but not quite as because <laughs> yeah. even though James got shut out of, like, it seems like he's doing okay. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so um, I give this a four out of five. I think this is. I mean, and that's something to say about Soderbergh that I wouldn't put this in my very top echelon of his films, uh, but it's right on the cusp, uh, especially after a first viewing. I thought this was a very well put together film. Um, all the details have to play into it a little bit for me. The idea of this being shot on an iPhone, being thrown into the mix somewhat quickly, at least from my viewing aspect, yada, yada, yada. Um I think that this is a really strong performance by Claire Foy. We did not really even hit that much on Jay Farrow, but I thought his character was really good. Uh, the idea of him being presented to the audience as this uh, drug addict, uh, and then we end up finally, you know, and that's the, the beauty of, of this script, yeah. is that we are to believe that he's this guy who's in rehab for, for drugs and seems to have his shit together, 
but he's okay. still a drug addict. Can I? And then you, yeah. you end up uh, finding out the details of, of, of his character, and it's uh, something. And then you uh, also, to go with his character, you see the very ending aspect of this film, which is the woman who's there spouting all this shit, getting caught with the... Uh, the journal that was held by the the one person. Uh, I, I, oh yeah, the way that the whole thing spirals at the end is just amazing to me. But his character specifically, uh, and the idea that he like wants to have a friendship with her, yeah. not necessarily because she's not a crazy person, but because they actually have like a you know camaraderie. Uh, yeah. the, the whole thing about his character, I thought was great. Can I say something really quickly about just his character, which is that the combination of his fake backstory of being a drug, a, uh, drug addict and whatnot, and his ultimate fate uh, of quote unquote accidentally overdosing mm-hmm. on you know drugs is one of the creepiest things because for me. Um, one of the things that put me off of therapy when I first started was that my uh, therapist told me that um, in order for insurance to, uh, you know, compensate for compensate, it. Yeah. Uh, you you have to have a diagnosis. So the idea that mm. you're and I didn't blame her for yeah. saying that, you know, but the idea because then I'm like, you know, I'm sitting there and going, I don't know, but I'm comfortable with that because yeah. I'm not saying that I can't have a diagnosis, but. A, that I have to have one? Well, that I have to have one, or A, that I would have to have one this early, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot, uh, is just so rudimentary. Right. So the idea that because he says he has a drug addiction and then he's killed by it, uh. it it's just another wonderful little tiny extension of the... And how about that that's like a cover-up, cover too, yeah. that, mm-hmm. well, he was in here for drugs, so that's why he died. Yeah. Even though we uh, found his body... Which work. is so creepy. Can I ask too? Um, ask. I was a little, con- and again, four to five, and I'll end my final rating saying mm-hmm. that, that I, I thought this was a fantastic film that I, I'm interested to see again. I'm a little confused about which body the runner and her dog finds. The mom. Right? The no, mom, no, no. The no, mom no. was in the back of the Wait. car. That is a good fucking question i like i'm not lying when i say this but i know for a fact that when i saw the movie it I, made sense i knew exactly <laughs> right right and yet now i have no idea okay. i'll so. need to watch it again. maybe it was just another person that they killed in that fucking hospital that thematically would not make sense yeah. but I, I i'm just trying to think of who it would be Is it the doctor that he replaced could it be that Essentially, who could he be, but is. that's never explained. No, I, feel like. I, I don't know. I know I, when I saw it, I'll need to it see made it again. Sense. But it, 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 that could just be a now, now that I'm thing, thinking yeah. about it. I'm, I'm thinking. Well, that scene happened, but we never really get anything from it. Okay. Anyway. At any rate, oh, this is a great film, regardless of that scene, even if it's there for <laughs> a reason. Um, and uh, I really have an affinity for for what this film is trying to say, uh, both about um, mental illness. Uh, but then also about the care of mental illness, especially in the time that we're in right now in 2018. So there it is. I'm a big fan. I love Soderbergh. I love this movie. Um, I think this movie is just another example of what Soderbergh does, which is that on the surface, he just sets out to entertain the audience. Uh, And if you're not entertained, that's fair, but he's just making propulsive thrillers or dramas that just get you by from scene to scene and yet by the time you finish the movie 
you then start to piece together the fact that you just watched an extremely scathing indictment of some bureaucratic system that the movie just happened to inhabit. And I feel like that's his ultimate, uh, you know, rabbit out of a hat trick as a director. Um, the fact that it's shot on an iPhone is slightly distracting in the first 10 minutes or so. I feel like all the iPhone scenes work extremely well the moment she's in the uh, institution. But outside, it was not bad, but it was a little too cute. Um, but because most of the movie takes place in, in the institution, it's really not a problem at all. Mm. Uh, some of these shots are borderline iconic uh, for Soderbergh's career. Uh, it was in the trailer, but specifically her looking out of the... Um, the window with the uh, what do you call it the like the blinds yeah uh, when she pushes those open yeah. with the blue light coming through is easily going to be one of my favorite uh, Soderbergh uh, moments because he if you don't know uh, shoots and edits almost all of his films uh, oh. they are pseudonyms when you look at the editor I, I heard you giggle when yeah, that, yeah. Uh, when I said Peter Andrews as uh, for cinematography mm-hmm. that is a Soderbergh pseudonym hmm. um, so yeah I'm, I'm clearly I'm a little too easy <laughs> no that's fine but yeah so anyway uh, it's absolutely another home run not because it's some kind of masterpiece but once again Soderbergh saw some kind of ridiculous challenge that nobody was posing to him mm-hmm. <laughs> that he decided to take upon himself anyway right. so uh, it's four out of five for me and I, I think it's ex- uh, just extremely fun and yet intelligent and I can't wait to see it again because I honestly think that it'll work even better the second time around because it was never trying to present itself as something that was above what you were already thinking of right. it. So yeah. let's um, pay attention to that uh that body for the second thing and and see if that makes any damn sense a second time through. I don't want to think about it too much because it's kind of bothering me to be honest. Right, right. So, yeah. If yeah. I didn't have two beers, I feel like I would get it right away. <laughs> <laughs> this is 8.0, man. I got you. All right. If you have any thoughts on there, if you know who the body was, uh, you can always <laughs> send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Or Enter our contest. <laughs> who was the body? Bob Barker. <laughs> uh, uh, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. You got to try really hard, though. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, next episode is, as we already mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg's new film, Ready Player One. Uh, our friend who's been joining us uh, pretty routinely, uh, which has been great, uh, Sam Shamara, will be here uh, and we'll be discussing the new film, Ready Player One. And I'm sure we'll be discussing all of the great pop culture references. So many references. Yeah. Including references from Steven Spielberg's films that he didn't want to do. Then why did you do them, fucker? Um, yeah. So he's got no one to blame but himself. Fucking yeah. piece of shit. Sorry, I'm tipping my hand on my feelings on Steven Spielberg. So anyways, we'll be talking about that coming up next week. So, from Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. And we will be catching up with you next time. <laughs> Thank you.